Hi, I'm Michael Etchens from In Excess. Thank you very much for coming backstage with Access All Areas, okay? Hope you have a good time. Welcome to Inexos Access All Areas. My name is B, and I will be co-hosting this series of podcasts with my Inexos nerd Hayden Murdoch. We will be delving deep with you all to explore everything there is to know about this iconic band of brothers in excess, sharing music, tours, videos, albums, and oh, so much more. Well, hello, welcome to Access Access All Areas, episode one fifty three, the podcast that aims to dive deep in all things great about this band, get them into the Rock Hall of Fame. Celebrate their discography and their history and do it with a bunch of friends, patrons, colleagues, and compadres in B. Hello, B. How are you? It looks like I'm doing heavy lifting today. Is that right? You might have to, Hayden. Yes. Um, it's been um, the start of the school holidays with uh, my daughter, <laughs> and she's just uh, had me running everywhere. So, yeah, this is a relief. Back into the in excess <laughs> bubble with my mate. Well, school holidays can uh, present uh, a multitude of responsibilities and uh, hail the teachers who normally look after our kids. All right, well, uh, we're getting into uh, episode 153. We've just come off the back of our Neil Kossar interview last week, which I think went down particularly well with our, our uh, listener base. And uh, I guess the, the book that's about to sort of uh, release on October 3rd, but is already available on pre-order, uh, is an exciting little compendium, B, for people's collections. I think it's uh, definitely reached a, uh, an interesting level for both him, the publisher, and also a lot of the NXS fans out there. I think if we get the elephant out of the room of the price, especially for Australia, 700 bucks, I mean, that's not you know something you go into yeah. lightly. But really, guys, when you see what you're going to get from that, it's well worth it. So um, listening to Neil talk more about it was quite interesting, wasn't it, last well, week? Well, yeah. I mean, there's going to be two particular you know, spe- uh, deluxe sort of special edition and then, then the, uh, you know, well, they call it the super, super deluxe, I think, and then there's just the deluxe. But um, And then there's the hardback cover. You know, some people aren't into collecting and into the sort of the, the trappings and things. And, and they, again, they can get a, the more... Uh, you know, uh, basement price of what the hardback hardback will come out. But um, again, listening back to to Neil in, in our sort of post production, it was just great to see another enthusiastic person who's uh, engaged with the band. And uh, as you said last week, uh, quite a true fan. And I think it's echoed in the way he's put the book together. Yeah, it's it's a nice thought that that they were listening to in excess music, and it was like they really threw themselves into it all with creating it. Yeah, and then a lot of people have actually contacted us, Hayden, and said that they're in the book and that they're really excited about it as well. So yeah. it's all really cool, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was uh, something that stood out last week, particularly with uh, a couple of our uh, friends in the UK, uh, you know, who uh, – you know, actually met Neil and had him come to their home and obviously, you know, Xerox uh, accordingly and take pics and things. Oh, Andrew. Isle yeah. of Mull. Isle of Mull. Mull. Uh, is that the Mull of King Tyre? Is that is it related to there? But uh, yeah, look, very, very exciting. And look, there is a tie-in to today's episode, which we will reveal a little bit later. But uh, I guess as we always do, Be, what's uh, come across your desk? How's your this week been? Oh, yeah. It's um, been, been quite busy, actually. One of our patrons, Juliet Martin, got in touch with me. She's going to see um, the UK In Excess Boys play, um, which is happening soon. And she asked if she could wear one of our T-shirts. And I said, it's going to take a while to get there. So what I've done is I've um, sent her our logo and she's going to get it printed. <laughs> and that got me thinking, if anybody else wants to do that, get in touch with the podcast. Happy to email you one of our prints and you can get them printed yourself. Another guy um, who has been on the NXS circuit for a very long time, his name is Matt Brown. He actually started the Michael Hutchins, You Are a Rock God, which is like thousands yeah. and thousands and thousands. He got in touch and he really enjoyed the episodes that we did with Bruce Butler. Yes. And we had a lovely chat and he said it saddens him that Michael isn't here to feel all this love that's still here for him. And, you know, even after all these years, you know, that we all think of Michael daily. And it's, yeah, so I'm just sending a big hug to all those people. Yes. Well, look, you know, hopefully this, along with the band and everything else we go through, does uh, connect and uh, reach out to some of those little spiritual places. And hopefully he's up above or down below, wherever he is, uh, the message is getting through about how much uh, he is still uh, revered. 
Lee, come across your desk this week. Anything else exciting? Don't know about exciting, but again, I had a nice um, young man get in touch with me called Riley, and he asked me if I met Michael. Well, I haven't met him, but I, I've, I've seen him twice, and he was, um, you know, he's only young, so he was very excited to hear that. I don't yeah, know if you're saving this. Oh, what's well, that? Is it fair to say you chased him rather than met him? Because <laughs> <laughs> huh? I've got an image of you running down some street in Birmingham outside the Odeon chasing him in you know, limo. Does that connect? Yeah, I, I'm not alone there, you know. I'm not some nutcase. I'm sure there's a lot of girls that run after that uh, that birth. And guys. And guys, and yeah. guys, and guys. Yeah. Um, I've got a little bit of news that might not go into the news. I saw that Mark Opitz is in Capri as of like yes, a few hello, hours Mark. ago. Hello, yes. Mark from Capri. Oh, my God, could do with a bit of that sunshine. And given that, we should just maybe, well, I won't move into the news, but there is a little news item that you and I were made aware of last week uh, on our chat with uh, one of Unixus's PR persons, and that is that former Dirty Hearts, that's 30 years anniversary this year, is going to have a re-release. <laughs> and there is... Is and we can't say this officially. Uh, there, there is a hope that I think uh, Mark, uh, who obviously produced the album, who's in Capri this week, may may get the chance to influence the uh, set list of the songs or the tracking list of the songs. That's what he's lobbying for. We hope that can occur. We're not saying it's going to happen, and we may be revealing something too soon or out of tune. But we would hope that Mark, who loved the album, just felt like the track listing could have been in different orders, does get a little reprieve and we can uh, see that occur, along with some bonus tracks or some remixes or some 12-inch stuff that will be part of the 30th year anniversary. So you've heard it here first, there will be a 30th anniversary re-release. Very excited because in America, that's been uh, deleted as a as an album over there. Um particularly with their record company, uh, was the last album they did with, I think, Mercury. This hopefully will provide a, another launching pad on that album, give another life. So, B, back to you. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, Mark, if you're listening and you do happen to go to the studio that In Excess recorded and it's still there, please take some photos for us. We'd love to see those, wouldn't we? Yeah, 100%. 100%. Or do a little thing for your Instagram. Yeah, that would be awesome. Well, if you follow Mark on Facebook or see Mark's Facebook page, you'll see he sent a picture this morning of a great view, awesome. uh, waking up in Capri with a very simple, good morning, Capri. So, uh, <laughs> and, for that, and for those listeners that don't know, that's where In Excess's album, Full Moon Duty Hearts, was recorded uh, and, re- well, not released, but it was recorded there back in uh, 93. So thank you, Mark, for uh, bringing Capri back into our minds. We also have a few other travellers. Bruce Butler, he went over to New York and he went to the Bowie reunion. So he's having loads of fun over there, meeting up with lots of people. And then Darren George got in touch with me and said, put your TV on now. Bob Geldof is in Melbourne watching the right. footy. <laughs> yeah, well, the rugby, I think he went down to the change rooms after the game there and uh, let himself be known. And, uh, yeah, it still looks like he needs a shower or two he, and a shave, yeah. doesn't he, B? Yeah. You know, he always... He always uh, could play an extra in a in a sort of a, a movie uh, uh, with vagrancy, but uh, <laughs> you know I, I say that tongue in cheek, Bob. Uh, hello to you. All right, B. Well, uh, you know, our show doesn't survive without patrons, so we're going to handball to you and just welcome them to our episode this week. So over to you. Say hello to everybody outside on the highway. Let's all say hello to everybody outside. It's about ten thousand people at least. Hello. Well, it's a big hello to our honorary members, Tim Farris, Nick Egan, Mark Opitz, Richard Simpkin, Cameron Adams, Mary Woods, Darren Jones and Paul Jolie. Our patrons, Carmen, Laurie, Danielle, Sarah Markham, Sarah Camia, Dr. Jim, Katie, Lisa Mack, Anne-Marie, Susan P, Susan B, Foxy, Pedro, Mandy, Lisa, Yvonne, Amanda H, Amanda V, David, Tracy, Paul Buckley, Ella, Ryder, Tony, Erica, Abigail, Martin, Val, Jim, Kelly, Jackie, Sean, Sheila, Shannon, Helen, Brett, Suzanne, Laurel, Bard, Genevieve, Shelby, Manny, Laurie, Jill, Laos, Heidi, Paula, Lisa Urban, Angie, Nancy, Juliet, Scott, Anthea, Maria, Tracy, Vernon, Jamie, Diana, Stefan, Andrew, Georgie, Stephen, Keisha, Mark, Vern, Shane, Lachlan, Mandy, 
Rachel, Nick, Sula, Amy, Diana, Paul, Paul Bridges, and our new patron, Elisa. And our special mentions go to Sue D, Joe Robbins, John A. Bink, Michael Spriggs, Glenn Davis, Paul Bosey, and Jay Finlayson. Welcome to the podcast. This is the part of the show where we like to introduce our topic of the week and give a little bit of a hint of what things is about. On the backdrop of the Calling All Nations uh, tour book that's uh, been put together by a friend of the podcast now, we can say, Neil Kassar, last week, we thought we would dive deep and part of our narrative that we are around 1997 on our anthology deep dive, uh, we would talk a little bit about in more celebration, in excess's last tour with Michael. Place ourselves back in time because... I know for myself personally, if I could speak on on uh, people from Australia's behalf, B, we are with the uh, the one continent and the one area where we didn't get to see Michael play and and Inexcess played that tour. And I know obviously Inexcess got to play in South Africa and Europe and and through uh, America and Canada, uh, the UK, etc. Obviously they didn't get to Asia or they didn't get to uh, South America, but uh, Australia was a bit of a homecoming tour. And obviously with what happened with Michael, it never occurred. As a little bit of a fan exercise, B, having not gone to this tour, and we do have listeners and patrons who did go to this tour, uh, we thought a topic on this would be great and create a really good fan engagement throughout the week because uh, I think from memory, B, there was one of our, our patrons who went to the very last in excess gig, I believe, in Pennsylvania where Michael played at. So hopefully this does elicit a lot of our uh, engagement on social media where if you've got any experiences, photos or participations on this tour, uh, we would love to engage with you uh, after you hear this episode. So very excited to uh, nostalgically go back to a place in time be where I wasn't at. And I don't think at the time you were particularly sort of at uh, in your in excess mental world at this time. So it's been a good exercise in nostalgia for me and hopefully our listeners do get something out of it today. Okay. Well, let's just get straight into the topic. Hey, this is Tim Farris. Big shout out to Hayden and B. Also want to say hello to all the listeners and NXS fans. Thanks for listening. I love you, Hayden and B. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. And now it's time for Topic of the Week. Well, they would just have a little bit of in excess culinary waste there, which was the name of this particular last tour they went on with Michael. I thought, like always, B, we do a bit of a backdrop where the band were at at this particular time and what were the optics, etc. Um, uh, it probably had been the biggest gap between tours for the band. And uh, looking back through setlist.com, uh, I think their very last gig that that played was around the 28th of October in 1994. And uh, on this particular tour, they sort of kicked off, pardon the pun, in February for 1997, so about two and a half years, which uh, for a band so used to playing all the time and regularly, must have felt like ages away, you know, from this particular outset. They uh, had in the middle played, uh, you know, the one song at the Aria Awards in 96, which was uh, uh, Searching. Uh, but in terms of any fully-fledged tour, it had been a long sort of hiatus. I guess if you think back to the miniseries, B, there was a sort of a concern possibly that they may not get back together. And, you know, 1993 was Full Moon Dirty Hearts, this last studio album. And 1997, you know, uh, Elegantly Wasted came out. So it was a three and a half year gap between albums. So I guess it was a, a time in place that I think uh, Mike Plontikoff uh, sort of highlighted a bit too. The band were quite refreshed and keen to record and uh, had quite a lot of creativity going, given they were rested. Uh, Michael had gone off and started having a family. The other band members were having families and, uh, you know, just enjoying maybe the fruits of that sort of uh, early, earlier and latter parts of their career. 
The interesting thing, B, when this uh, whole sort of tour started off, it is actually available on a CD that was sold in Australia, and that is that they did a gig in Colorado, we named, I guess, Rock, Rock and the Rockies in sort of Aspen, Colorado. And through my research, B, I was able to find a really cool article. Now, you weren't there, I weren't there, and most of probably our listener base weren't there, but I thought I would take our listeners just into a little bit of a time and place of someone who was there who has put pen to paper uh, and this article came out about four years ago, but I remember reading at the time, thought, oh, this would be pretty cool. You know, if you're tucked up in bed in Oslo or if you're tucked up in bed in Canada and you're hearing this, you know, see it as a bedtime story, whatever you want to do it. But <laughs> painting the picture now. So there's a nice little picture of Michael there, B, on the front. Oh, but that's more beautiful. Of his, his, more of his kick look. But yes. uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll read this little article out and hopefully I uh, can paint the picture uh, of the very first sort of uh, gig for in excess after about two and a half years. Now, this was based at the Wheeler Opera House in Aspen, Colorado, and they had production offices under the floor right in front of the stage. Now, I'm speaking on behalf of the author here, Algerno. As I found out in February of 1997, the floor, or ceiling, depending on where you were, does not safely support hundreds of people jumping up and down. Okay, why were they jumping up and down? Well, here is where the story starts. Looking back now, I realise how, how incredibly lucky I was during the 90s to have worked at VH1. The channel for whatever its failings were was committed to music at a time when music was about to enter a very different era. Digital meant very little in 1997 and the notion of music from a computer was not really on many radars. 1997 was my last year at VH1 as a full-time employee and while my career was about to ascend, I still got to shoot many interesting gigs for them. Series like Storytellers, Big Life Specials like Divas and cool concerts like NXS Rock and the Rockies, which very indirectly... Uh, led to my directing, Rockstar in Excess, oh, CBS, eight years wow. later. But that's another story. Yeah. The In Excess concert this night in uh, Aspen was a fairly straightforward one. It would be a one-hour special to air in a few weeks' time after I shot it. The budget was, as I remembered, about $200,000, low but doable, partly because the producer-director was staff and thus free, in brackets, meat. <laughs> <laughs> The concert would be taped at Wheeler uh, Opera House in Aspen, Colorado to, to uh, go with a VH1 affiliate or advertiser um, to get away, uh, which is a combination of vacation, uh, blowjob to lucky invitees. VH1 was, of course, a, a cultural juggernaut in 1997, and cynicism aside, we had behind the music, storytellers, divas live. Oh, that didn't happen to 98. Well, we had a pop-up video. We had lots of arrogance from upper management, particularly from the top and upper of management. Thus, we were in fucking Aspen, Colorado, and I could ski then and shoot a concert with every very fun and visual in excess at my disposal. I got into uh, Aspen about a week before the shoot because I needed to see how my skiing ability was. Much to my surprise, a few private lessons later, I was decent on the blue slopes. As far as the show goes, in excess could not have been better to work with uh, or have been better or, or couldn't, have, couldn't have had better accents. They were totally down with my concept to put a ton of ribbed up posters on the brick stage wall uh, and light and then go. Roaring to the point. We got to the wheeler to remove the first 10 rows of seats and have an area for the fans, uh, in brackets, some were allowed uh, in from town, to mosh or dance or simply jump up and down in the front of the stage. In excess requested one thing, a ladder leading up to the first opera box be left intact. I would see why during the song Devil Inside. All was going great. I had a small but A crew and start with me and everything was pretty damn perfect. The band arrived from Australia about four days prior to the taping uh, to acclimatise to the 14,000 uh, feet altitude. They also took a small camera, by 1999's definitions of a small camera, and shot great behind the scenes stuff with the band and their crew, including some really moving and genuine moments with Michael, who a few months later tragically took his own life. The day prior to taping, the band loaded into the wheeler and I got to know them a little better. They were an incredibly cool bunch of people, cool in the sense of being funny, nice, talented, talented, and who just happened to have sold 55 million records at the time. Their lead singer was Mike Hutchins, who brimmed with charisma, not even with trying. I was sitting in the opera house with the NXS manager, and Mike was coming on and off stage with different outfit choices. All I could think was, I'm witnessing a bona fide fucking rock star. One shirt choice was a black lace top, hello B, uh, which was so cool and only so cool uh, on a rock star. We did a sound check rehearsal during the day and about 15 minutes into the band going full throttle on stage, the production manager comes in from the truck and tells me the ceiling of the production office, which was right under the front of the stage, was vibrating quite a bit. I looked at him and said something to the effect of, I don't care, it's a rock concert. I may have added some off-colour language, which in those days I did on occasion. If anyone reads this who knows me, you, you might be rolling your eyes, noted. 
Rehearsal ended, and next, uh, and next was a show to shoot in about three hours' time. Now the time after rehearsal and prior to the actual taping often is a time of nervousness, pacing, and not eating. That night I was feeling so pumped and relatively stress-free that I ate, laughed, and generally enjoyed myself. For whatever reason, sometimes TV shows just take on a life of themselves, and as the director, you just go along for the ride. In Excess, Rock the Rockies was such a TV concert. It simply was amazing start to finish. The band was loose and tight, and uh, all at the same time, they were so happy to be up there, and the audience could not have been more engaged. The show felt intimate, but it also felt like a real fucking rock show. Now, B, you know I don't talk like this. I'm just reading here. Of the many moments I remember, the one still stands out to me 18 years later was the performance of Devil Inside. Remember the ladder leading up to the opera box I mentioned? Well, Michael used it and sang half the song from up there. The placement of the jib could not have been better. The shot speaks for itself. She must be a camera team. Oh, yes, you're wondering about the floor. Yes, the floor, which was on top of the production office that started to crack. Well, apparently the Wheel Opera House never tested strength when several hundred people were bouncing on it. And and music is often played at about 105 decibels. And by song through the show, I sensed a panic about me. I didn't stop directing. I was in it. Nothing short of electrical failure would get my head out of the monitors I was staring at. But I was also a producer and knew that there would be discussions about this after we wrapped. There was... Uh, that discussion where I was told the floor cracked to the point that everyone in the production office needed to get the fuck out. They solved the impending disaster by literally installing 10 by 2 by 4s and propped the fucker up. Wow. No one got hurt I, and I got one great rock and roll story to tell. Looking back now, I realise how incredibly lucky I was during the 90s to have worked at VH1. Uh, the channel, for whatever its failings were, was committed to music at a time when music was about to enter a very different era. Digital meant very little back at this time and for that night in Aspen, didn't matter. Now, this is written by a gentleman called Michael, whose name I don't have his last name, but I thought this was just a really lovely little story just to share with the very first concert of this tour and where the band were at at that particular time. Well, it just shows you, doesn't it? I mean, you've been to plenty of in excess concerts, but you know the roof's going to come off the ceiling <laughs> as in stroke floor. Well, it got cracked. I have been to a gig where we pushed, we pushed the stage forward off its axis you and did, that nearly bloody clutch. Yeah. Well, but it's um, pretty yeah. cool that he was able to do Rockstar after that as well. Yeah. They, they kept in touch. So they must have been happy with that. I think when we get to Roxanne, he says we might have to hunt Michael down we and get him will. onto the show. We will. So, sounds like he's got a good anecdote to tell. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, you know, that was a really good sort of starting point for the tour. Now, um, just to bookend it all, the, you know, the, the, the tour started on February 4th here in, you know, obviously Aspen, you know, Colorado. And ultimately the very last gig was September 1997 uh, on the 27th. Uh, and that was actually uh, in Pittsburgh, which I'll elaborate on a little bit later. The show in Aspen, Rock the Rockies, was the first show of the tour and um, it was actually kind of cool doing it in Aspen and it was a, it was a little uh, hard rock cafe I think <clears throat> and um, it was it was awesome it, 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 the audience went off and it was you know it's always great to play in the snow towns I think anyway but particularly Aspen mm. it's always great to um, play new material as well mm. so we just uh, finished recording uh, Elegant Wasted and uh, it was great to just sort of Road tested on stage. It's a good show from memory, mm. actually. And, and there was a funny part where Michael went exploring and went uh, climbing the balustrade at the back of the gig, you know, and he ended up poking his head up. I remember watching that on, and uh, they're having a laugh, you know, because it, it was pretty funny, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, some, there's some, uh, some good moments in that. Yeah. I guess from a breakdown point of view, B, they did 88 concerts on this particular tour. So probably not as many as the, uh, the kick days. And uh, I guess when you sort of relate back to the early parts of their career, you know, they would play 150 gigs, 150 tour gigs per per year in some cases, 250 gigs. But they did 46 of these gigs in the USA. Uh, they did 15 in the UK. Uh, so includes of England, Scotland, et cetera, for that. They did six in Canada, uh, six in South Africa, uh, and the balance of the rest were in Europe in places like, like France and uh, I guess uh, I think uh, Netherlands and a few other places, Germany, Denmark and some of those. And how many were they scheduled to do Australia? I think they had about 20 to do and they were doing something uh, slightly unique. They were doing all the major cities, but they booked a few regional ones. Like I'd booked some tickets to a place called Bendigo, which is in the Gold Rush area of sort of middle Victoria. So doing a few little regional ones as well where, you know, big amphitheatres and things like that. So that would have amounted to 100 then? Yeah, definitely mm. would have exceeded over 100 there. And, and who knows, they could have kicked on to South America and Asia and another lap around the world. The, the reality of what they did do, they did the 88 sort of uh, gigs and things. I guess in terms of the list, 
uh, and the set list and things that they did. I took a sample B just of a, a few of the the shows they played. So relating back to the prior tour, they were doing 24, 25 songs on that sort of uh, tour. Uh, they seem to scale back a bit around 2021. Now, most most of these particular shows had that as a number. Uh, they obviously you know, leaned heavily, heavily on kick, which they sort of used to do for most of the tours subsequent to kick and, and kick including. They played generally around five songs of Allegally Wasted, two or three off X, a couple off Welcome, and generally that sprinkle in one off Full Moon, one off Shabu Shabar, and one off The Swing. However, you know, it's, there are a couple little nuggets, B, that I have unearthed that they did play at a few different gigs. So... Uh, I thought I would just go through the very first set list in, in America in uh, New York where they played at uh, Irving Plaza in 1997, April This New York gig with New Sensation, which is uh, a little bit unique, opening up with a, a song that would have been 10 years old. Um, but, you know, maybe they've been away for a fair bit of touring, so it was like, let's open up with a banger, you know, to get the audience cranking. They went into Tasted at number two, uh, Elegantly Wasted at three, Original Sin at four. Off Full Moon, they played Time, which was the uh, third single in Australia. Interesting. Uh, yeah, they went into I'm Just a Man off uh, Elegantly Wasted. They went into Kiss the Dirt. Uh, which, uh, again, had a little bit of a reprieve in their set later on in their, their career. Uh, they then went into Show Me, Cherry Baby, uh, Listen Like Thieves uh, at 9, Searching at 10. Uh, Never Terrace Spot at 11, uh, relatively early in the set. Uh, Everything at 12. Need You Tonight slash Mediate at 13 and 14. Girl on Fire at 15. Devil Inside at 16. What You Need at 17. And Suicide Blonde at 18. Uh, they then had the encore, came back on with Kick at 19, Heaven Sent at 20, and Don't Change at 21. So if I put myself back in time and went to this gig, um, again, I'd be excited to go to this because because it's in excess. Obviously, that's it goes without saying, but they're playing around with the set list a little bit. You know, they prior tours, they might have had New Sensation, uh, Never Tear Us Apart up the back end on the encore. Um, they played some of those early and mixed it around a little bit and sprinkled in you know, five new tracks off, off the new album. So uh, I guess the album would have only come out literally sort of a week or so before, uh, and uh, they have put five of the 21 songs off the new album. So if you're an attendee at that gig, you know, you'll probably know 16 of the songs pretty well, and you'd be sort of served up five newies, hopefully to enjoy as well. Good, uh... We've got a new album and we've got some new songs. This is one of them. It's called Just a Man. It's a family thing. They then played and went to South Africa. Now, uh, Allegedly Wasted was number one album there. I think Allegedly Wasted, the single, was the number one single there. So, interestingly, that uh, they, uh, along with Canada, probably had some really good chart success there in South Africa. Uh, they opened up with Allegedly Wasted, which, again, probably suggests it was the number one song at the time. So, why not open up you know, and play it first off? Yeah. Most of the songs uh, subsequent to that, uh, they played uh, similar to the New York gig. But interestingly, when I look back at the New York gig, they didn't play Mystify, uh, which was a song they loved to play a lot, uh, yet they pulled Mystify out here. They've also brought in uh, Disappear for this particular uh, gig. They've brought in Bitter Tears. Hey, they brought in Love Is What I Say here in South Africa. So again, I've just noticed that then. And they brought in uh, Don't Lose Your Head, uh, which again was ironically filmed in South Africa with the film clip from friend of ours, Nick Egan. Yes. Uh, so that was uh, probably not too long before the movie came out for, for uh, Face Off. And then they uh, played Don't Change, and then they finished with Suicide Ball and Last. They've done a little sneaky there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, again, if I was at this sort of gig here, this would have been awesome to go to because I would have gone, oh, my God, love is what I say, top five of all time. And then they've played around with the set list a little bit too uh, and put a, a few sort of uh, songs out there. If I flip a, a little bit ahead to August where they play uh, on the 29th of August in Kansas City, 
looking through the set list here, new sensations, start with, taste it, scrolling down. Uh, a pretty similar set list to New York. However, B, they've played at song 18, the first song after the encore, Keep the Peace. Now, this is a song off the Beverly Hills uh, Cop soundtrack, yes. which was 1993, uh, and there's a film clip for it, but uh, I, I didn't know they ever played it live. Uh, and no. you know what? This might have been the only time I ever played it live, but uh, it's a cool track. My God, that would have been great to hear that. Would have thrown me out hearing that one live. Yeah. Would have been going, what's going on here? This is uh, a little bit of uh, what you call a uh, a deep cut, the deepest of cuts there. So, so yeah, a little bit of a mixture and similar to the New York list there, but they've just thrown a couple of little sort of things in there too. And then if I go back to the very last gig they played, uh, B, uh, and I think as I said, we've had some people through our podcast mention they were at this gig. Uh, at the Coca-Cola Star Lake Amphitheatre in Burgettstown in Pennsylvania. Opened up with Allie Wasted, uh, New Sensation at two, Tasted at three, Time at four, Just a Man at five, Mystify at six, Heaven Sent at seven, Searching at eight, Disappear at nine, Never Tear Us Apart at ten, Need You Tonight at eleven, Media at twelve, Bitter Tears thirteen, Girl on Fire fourteen, Kick fifteen, Devil Inside sixteen, What You Need seventeen, Encore Now, uh, Don't Lose Yet eighteen, don't change to 19, Suicide Blonde at 20. Yeah, a little bit of a, a cross sort of representation of some of the sort yeah. of songs they played. And uh, if anybody wants to go into Set List FM uh, and then plug in the name in excess, you will be able to go through. And there are some gaps, you know, in those gigs and things like that, but uh, we you don't have a set list. But about 90% of that uh, page will have the set list that you may have seen them play at the concert you went to. Of which, B, I think um, we, we did this one time. We had you go back to look at the Odeon gig in 86 or 87 you went to and you, that, that set list was there. So Yeah. Yeah, so that were the sort of the songs they, they got to, to, to play there. And uh, um, I think, you know, bringing it back to where they're at, that was the only time where the band uh, prior to Michael's passing, you know, essentially had their whole catalogue at their disposal. Yeah. Be it elegantly wasted, taking it back to full moon to welcome and back in time to X. They probably had, you know, 40, 50 singles that throughout their career had been released to play and somehow you got to nut it down to 20, 21 songs. And for the band and the fans who want to grow with an artist, they want to place themselves off the new album. And um, it's a bit weird, that concept. You know, there's a bit of a stigma and a bit of a cliche, like, oh, my God, you know, the worst thing a band can say to concert, now for something off the new album. Well, there are two types of bands and there are bands that are trying to release albums and grow their audience and, they're constantly evolving, they're constantly pushing the envelope. And then there's those heritage acts that, you know, bring out a new album that, you know, 50 years later, the fans just want to hear the old tracks. Like if you went to a Fleetwood Mac concert or the Eagles concert now, you want to hear the greatest hits. That's why people go to those things. But back in this particular time in the 90s, there's a band like NXS or U2 or The Cure or R.E.M., you know, there were fans that grow with the band and invest in the album and really want to hear those songs and hear the variety live. And I know myself, I just didn't want to hear a, a kick retrospective every time I went on tour no. to watch them play. And, you know, in Australia recently, the Chili Peppers gone to a little bit of, uh, you know, fan discontent because they came out and played songs off their new album. And it was probably too many for what they wanted, but, you know, each of their own. Like I... You know, as a fan, I, I want to hear some of the new stuff. I want to hear some of the old stuff. I want to hear the set list change around a bit. And seems like if you uh, went to every one of these gigs, you wouldn't get the same show every night, B. Yes, and they knew that because there'd yeah. be fans following them around. So they yeah. had to change it up a bit. Not had to, but it's it's good. They do it for the fans, don't yeah. they, at the end of the day. I like that bit, the last one, though, that they paid Don't Change and Don't Lose Your Head right at the very end. Yeah. That would have been yeah. Amazing to hear that. And yes, yeah, seemed to finish on Suicide Blonde, which uh, was was interesting sort of as well. And, you know, without being too maudlin about it, you know, the word Suicide Blonde was Michael's last song, you know, he ever sung live with the band, you know. So, you know, I uh, don't want to sound prophetic because it's not really related, but uh, that was just the reality of what he played last. The other part uh, also to, uh, which is quite interesting, this week, uh, the last couple of weeks, I think Blur uh, reforming and doing some high park gigs in the UK and, they were interviewed on, uh, I think, BBC One or one of the, the radio stations there, and they were asked about the set list and all the band members, I think Damon Elbin and um, Graham Coxton uh, or Coxton or whatever, saying, oh, no, no, we don't pick the set list. We'll, we'll break up again if we have to pick the set list. And they said, well, who picks the songs you play? And it was like one of their sort of old-school roadie sort of, you know, production guys picks the set list for them. and. Because uh, they just would fight too much about what songs to play, which ones to miss, and who would agree. And um, I know Kirk Love used to love playing Mystify, and, I, and it's interesting looking at this list. It's about the first time I've ever seen Mystify not on a set list. But um, 
Yeah, that would have been hard, you know, for the band, you know, particularly on this tour to to pick songs and sort of satisfy their own push to be creative, plus also their own individual favourites and then the ones the crowd want, and especially when we got that much material. Yeah, amazing that they had that much material back in 97, you know? Correct. Mm. And so hard working and so many albums back then, so... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even if you look at this, you open up with this sensation and finish with Suicide Blonde. That's a pretty good bookend, isn't it? Enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're in the crowd and you hear this sensation over, you're going to be, be pretty fired up. And if you hear Suicide Blonde at the end, you're going to be pretty fired up. How you doing, Tim? So yeah, so that was some of the set list. Now, what I thought I could just share with the listeners, B, is just some of the interesting venues they got to play at because um, uh, I guess, you know, and being honest, you know, they weren't selling out stadiums at this particular time. They'd come off, you know, a, a decline in popularity, maybe it's a decline in commerciality, but there was still obviously a fan base out there that wanted to see them. But uh, uh, they did have uh, some interesting sort of venues they, they did play at. I guess some famous ones was the Greek Theatre, uh, I believe, in, uh, I believe it's in LA. It's San Francisco, LA. I can't remember. I think, it, I think it's LA, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think it's LA, yeah. But the Greek Theatre is quite a famous one. The main theatre they play that, which was also where uh, a rock star in excess, ironically, eight years ago, they did some recordings there. Uh, they played at the House of Blues, uh, I believe, uh, in one of the areas in America. They played uh, also in South Africa at the Stand Bank uh, Arena, and that was quite a big venue there, and they played three or four nights in a row there uh, in South Africa. In Germany, uh, a lot of fans have probably seen this one where there's a live video where they play at uh, a series called uh, Rock Palast, and I think it's in Laura Lee. Uh, and it was a bit of a festival that day. Uh, there is a video of it, etc. there, or a DVD of it. I struggle watching it a little bit because it's a bit like, you know, they've gone from Wembley to slightly smaller festival, but uh, they do a good set. But Michael is a little bit sort of disengaged and he's smoking a joint on stage and just a few cynical comments throughout the set. I don't think it was an official release. I think it was sort of a... Uh, uh, sort of a bootleg type sort of thing that gained prominence over time. So it's not sort of an official uh, in excess release. So um, I guess in a way I'm sort of thankful for that because uh, it doesn't probably capture them at their very best. I think the Rock and the Rockies ones are, is actually much more fun because it's the very first gig of the tour. And, yeah. Hey. Uh, that, that I think played sort of six, seven songs that sort of made it onto the CD single. Maybe they played, actually, maybe they played 12. But they end up releasing six, I think, onto this CD single that came out a few months after Elegantly Wasted in Australia. I think on that CD single, you got New Sensation, Elegantly Wasted, Searching, Need You Tonight, What You Need and Kick on that particular uh, Rock on the Rockies gig. I've got the, the CD. Um, I think some of our collectors probably do as well. Uh, and it was just sold as an add-on uh, after Elegantly Wasted. Now, B, I think earlier uh, you were mentioning to me, I think off air, that uh, they did a few TV appearances there uh, throughout. A couple of covers there live. They did Get It On from uh, T-Rex, which was a cover, and they also did Revolution, uh, which was sort of a, a cover of uh, John Lennon, and Michael sings a, a cracking version yes. of that. And I think in France, you said that you've done a little bit of research and might have seen them live on TV in France. Yeah, yeah, that's when they did the Get It On, wasn't it? And a few other things might as well. Might have been. I might have, again, yeah. I apologize. And Michael here. with trying on his French accent as well. I think when you you are sort of part of that tour and you are sort of going on a sort of a publicity tour at the same time. They did quite a lot of in-store, like I think in England, they did a Virgin, Virgin Radio slot playing three or four songs. They did some stuff in America at a few radio stations and then TV stuff because, you know, that's how you get your material out there. Hey, we're back, we're around, you know, check us out, we're touring, here's the album. Uh, Michael, as you probably remember, went on Chris Evans at the time promoting yeah. the, the CD. With the and what is it? That scene that it, it makes sound with your hands. I don't know what you're talking oh about. Oh, my well, God. You've got to rewatch it now and then you'll know what I'm know. talking about. 
All I remember is Chris Evans had red hair and he married Billy Piper. Is that right? Oh, he took the piss out of Michael talking about, yeah. like, do, do you do any baking now that you're uh, the night near enough right, a married okay. man? <laughs> <laughs> and then, look, you know, we, we mentioned this previously. Michael went on some uh, stuff in America with uh, John Stewart and the band did, I think, a, a guest spot on with uh, Rosie O'Donnell, her show at the time. And they played a few new and old songs on that. And um, so they definitely combine, I think, throughout their tour, you know, a lot of TV spots, um, a lot of uh, live radio stuff, uh, and then obviously the tour itself. Um, so if you go go to YouTube, you will find a lot of this material there. And again, you know, nostalgically looking back in time, it, 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 you know, when you, the ones where we see Michael happy or enjoying himself on tour uh, or playing some of these shows, they make me feel happy. Um, and it makes reminds me just of I think what Andrew Farris said just when they were I think touring around South Africa at the time, the bus and Michael said, "Look, you know." you guys made me feel safe and you know those really poignant words and i think there's also been some media stuff there was some tensions and a few different things there at the time that have been said later on but look i think uh they were quite refreshed i think the album itself you know we've talked about ellie and the waste of being uh, a really you know fine swan song to michael's involvement with the band but um yeah people i guess who were on these tours and at these gigs and concerts and things be uh, have experienced something that us in excess alumni haven't, and that was we never got to see this tour. No, so only what we we've do... seen on the media and, <laughs> yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it would be good if anyone's out there that they'd like to tell us their stories because that's what we like to do, isn't it? Involve yeah. everybody. And just just so people aware, nineteen ninety seven, there was really no internet. You know, mobile phones had just sort of come in. There was not even a text message ability. I think on mobiles, there wasn't Twitter, Facebook, or anything like that. So. Our ability back at this particular time to capture stuff was 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 hard. You know, you got a magazine, or you might have got a uh, an update on a on a music show or something like that. But there was no way of really knowing where your band was. I mean, I'd I'd get you know any musical publication I could and hunt down stuff. And I, there's stuff I could remember at the time. And I remember them going to South Africa and the UK, and I remember them topping the charts in Canada and South Africa and a few things like that. But it was hard to get information. Um, now, you know, weirdly enough, we can go in and just punch in this tour and find things that pop up. And, you know, we've been, you know, we're fortunate with this sort of explosion of technology and information that people have uploaded these things on onto various platforms where uh, we can get a chance to sort of see this stuff happen at the time, albeit not actually be there. Once more. Yeah. We do too. You know, um, sort of rounds rounds out this particular tour. I do know, you know, again, as we, we all know, the outcome of what happened with Michael. He came back to Australia. They went to ABC Studios. They're doing rehearsals, etc. There, obviously, Michael, you know, unfortunately, you know, left us uh, during those uh, rehearsals that night and never never really woke up and uh, you know uh, left the world. But um, they did have quite a big sort of tour planned around Australia. That you know. I, you know, we don't want to go down the, we got to talk more about this period, you know, over the few next few weeks. But I think, you know, he probably felt the pressure coming back to Australia and he was probably coming back to a country at the time that weren't embracing the band as much as some of the overseas markets were. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that probably weighed heavily on him. And, you know, Chris Murphy wasn't managing the band at this particular time. And mm -hmm. uh, he's gone on to say that, look, if he had been managing the band, he probably would have said, don't do this tour. You know, he, he probably could sense that Michael was uh, not in the best place in the world at that time. And, you know, Michael was the first time he had been on tour and away from, uh, you know, from Paula and his, his daughter at different times. And 
uh, and was dealing with real life parental issues, you know, and and anxiety. You know, they call it separation anxiety and different things. And obviously, that did sort of add up stuff. I thought an interesting little anecdote to finish with, B, uh, is at the very last concert they ever played, they were supported uh, by an artist uh, or a band called Ten Thousand Maniacs. Now. The lady in this particular band, it's a very fine singer, a lady called Natalie Merchant, and she had quite a lot of success uh, in 1995 around the globe with uh, uh, a solo album. Uh, and the name of the solo album in 1995, B, was called Tiger Lily. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Now, now, obviously, uh, Little Tiger, I think, was born in 96 or 95, 96. So, uh, but that album came out in 95. And then, you know, uh, Natalie Merchant's band, Ten Thousand Maniacs, supported Excess on the very last gig. And, and, and her, you know, her major album with a song called Carnival. And uh, through the powers of modern editing, B, I'm sure we'll be able to throw the song Carnival into, uh, into this little uh, podcast. Some of you may know it, but it was a beautiful song. This lady had a fantastic voice, but uh, I thought it was just you know, one of those really weird, you know, uh, coincidences yes. again yeah. that happened. Mm. So mm. who's to say Michael didn't like uh, like the, the the band and the name? I mean, Michael was very musical and knowing what was going on, he would have known her band, her album. He would have known her solo album. Uh, he would have known uh, the name of that. Who would have known? It'd be through. cool to find out why that yeah. uh, that, that she chose that. That's right. Yeah, might yeah. nothing so, to do with inexcess or Michael or anything. Just a coincidence. She likes the flowers. <laughs> one of those funny coincidences. Yeah. But um, mm. but yeah. So so look, you know, in, in excess were able to. You know, I'm glad they got that last album in. I'm glad they got that last tour in its majority. You know, I would have hated Michael to be a bit like Taylor Hawkins and pass away in a Colombian hotel room. I know, I know he passed away. That is Michael in a hotel room, but it was in Sydney. It was. Near family and you know, uh, it, it was just, it's just uh, still weird. It's still weird. It's it, still it's horrible still weird because you know he was still reaching out and having lovely conversations with his dad the the, the yeah. night before he got yeah. in touch with Ollie and he was very yeah. excited to to make another Max Q album. You know there yeah. was lots of things to look forward to, so it still doesn't add up. Yeah, but we will yeah. tackle that but another day. That's right. Momentary lapse of reason. Uh, look, we just hope that uh, we, we could sort of, you know, almost, you know, um, you know, put a ribbon just around the Michael years and and around, you know, the touring years and the album years, and we are at that point, you know, where you know, as I said, Michael leaves us soon, and um, I did want to give acknowledgement just to this this tour and what the band did and where they went and some of the success they had along the way and how they went about it all, and um, yeah, that's uh, that's the elegantly wasted tour. B, thank you for letting me indulge today. No worries, mate. You're listening to the number one in Nexus podcast. And now it's time for fan engagement. Well, I'm joined again by my gorgeous sweet friend from Florida, Danielle. So we're going to talk today about your time that you went to see Michael in concert um, with In Excess for the last time. I know that this is still pretty raw because we just tried to record this and this is our second time and Thank you for going back in time with this. Yeah, I was lucky enough to see In Excess with Michael Hutchins for one of his last concerts in America, which was September 6th, 1997. I got to go to Atlanta, Georgia to see him. And that was also the same day that they had Princess Di's funeral on. And what I remember the most was I had such a, a drive ahead of me I was with my uh, ex-boyfriend, sorry, Joel, and and we were down in uh, Texas. We were almost at like the Mexico war and I had these tickets and he had a weekend of leave. So we decided to make this trip from Florida to the Texas-Mexico border, stay two days and then drive me to Atlanta. So we drove 16 hours straight from Texas to Atlanta to get me to this concert, which I'm yet again, I'm I'm so grateful that I got to see that, that last tour with them. Um, But what I remember most is um, at that point, you know, like we talk about, there wasn't internet and a whole lot. And, you know, the guys weren't getting that much coverage um, over here. And I had just seen all the pictures with like Michael with the long, dark hair and stuff like that. So that's kind of what I was expecting. Yeah. So when I got there, it was a completely different Michael. It was the short hair and 
um, just really engaged with the crowd and stuff, which, you know, was was amazing. I wish I was a little bit closer than, you know, where I was at. But one of the things I remember the most was it was like a, a stadium uh, setup and they had tables down front. So like you could bring like like a picnic of like wine and cheese and stuff like that, which is really cool. And there was a table, and at one point, Michael stepped off the stage and onto the table, and he was like, brownies. Mmm, I like brownies. <laughs> <laughs> that has always stuck in my head of just how engaging he was. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure that couple will will never forget that that moment as long as they live. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that was... So it was it was a fun Michael. I've never yeah. heard you tell us yeah. that story before. Brownies, okay. So he's partial yeah. to liking brownies. Oh, cool. And um, the whole band, it was pretty good. Everybody was. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, the guys are dressed. I mean, Tim had the the ten gallon white hat on, the white suit, and you know, John. I remember the, the bleach blonde hair of John, and I just it's still not a face that I love. Sorry, John. <laughs> I didn't mind and, it actually. Uh, I quite liked the uh, the bleach blonde. It was something <laughs> a little bit crazy. And what was Michael wearing? Did he come out in his suit? Yes, he had the the black suit on and the sunglasses. I do remember that. But the sunglasses never came off. Oh, I did. I did remember that that he performed the entire show with his sunglasses on. And then you know, thinking now about the whole brain injury thing and like the the you know blaring lights in your face and stuff like that. That makes a whole lot of sense to me, or so I think. That would have probably bothered him, you know, the lighting and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. He was, he was quite yeah, partial to those that. sunglasses, wasn't he? Those fly ones. Yeah, yeah. 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 So <laughs> the other thing I remembered was they did give kind of like a like an homage to to Princess Di since it was her funeral that day. Oh, what, what did um, they sing? Beautiful girl. I can't remember. It may have been, but I want to say it was like a moment of silence as well, I believe. Mm. So um, I know we have some some listeners out there that have been to the same concert as me. So if y'all remember that, yeah, let us know. That would be great. Um, so that was uh, Shastain Park in Atlanta on September 6, 1997. Well, it's good to hear that Michael was um, upbeat and engaging because of what, you know, yeah. what we hear of the drugs that were being, you know, yeah, and because he was on mm-hmm. Prozac as well. So it's interesting to, um, it's, well, it's it's nice actually that um, we had the Michael back for a bit, you know, the long dark yeah, hair went yeah. and the short hair came and he did look good. He really did. I saw some photos not so long ago on um, Carrie Ann's site, the Michael Hutchins and Paulie Yates site, and there's a, a photo of him holding, holding Tiger and he's got the girls around him as well. And that was taken, I do believe, um, over in America when Paula came out with all the girls and um, it did look really happy really really happy yeah Mm. yeah that's why uh you know two and a half months later was a complete shock yeah so just one of those moments there's uh one of says stuck in a moment and what Rhett said as well as it's just between michael between michael and god between michael and god absolutely well thank you very much for that and next week we'll be back with tons of engagement but we're going to keep this nice and short because I'm on school holidays and um, with the kids and it is madness and <laughs> we want to keep it short so um, I hope everyone else is um, okay out there and uh, we'll see you next week all right take care hi this is Sarah from Sydney. You're listening to In Excess, Access All Areas. And now it's time for the news. Well, B, time for the news. Uh, a little bit of a build-up because we uh, didn't actually do any real news last week other than some of the birthdays and the Ray Charles 90th anniversary sort of acknowledgement. But uh, uh, at the time people will be listening to this, they should have already been able to access the Ollie Olsen uh, release of the update rooms for the memory, which uh, came out worldwide July, June 30th. So, if you've been able to manage a copy in the last couple of days, uh, kudos to you. Uh, I did notice, B, as we were preparing for our show, you got an in-excess calendar behind you. Is that right? I have, yes. I've got a big <laughs> – can you see this? There's a massive I calendar. I, I saw you flick over a calendar. I thought, oh, well done to you. you got the old school, nothing digital, the old school calendar no. on the wall. 
No, I'm I'm pretty much on paper. <laughs> even even our notes go on paper. I'm Correct. A, yes. Correct. I'll have to sell and, them one day. All these notes. <laughs> yeah, and look, obviously, July 14th, the CD uh, edition of Rooms to Memory comes out. It's a great little booklet which we had a chance to sort of see when we interviewed Bruce the other week. Um, as we said earlier, also too, it looks like later this year there will be a 30th anniversary of Full Moon Dirty Hearts, which we mentioned at the start of the show. So we can't wait to find out more about that. But we've tentatively been told that's happening. Uh, we will confirm its reality uh, over the next couple of weeks. But uh, the producer of the album, uh, Mark Opitz, is in uh, Capri this week. I wonder if he's doing any reconnaissance work uh, from 30 years ago. Who knows? I hope so. Kudos to the uh, kudos to the In Excess Petition guys. These guys just clocked over 15,000 uh, signatures in the last couple of weeks. So if you're not one who has signed, go onto the change.org uh, platform and go into In Excess Rock Wall of Fame uh, section for In Excess and you will be able to add your signature to whatever growing list that's actually there, which is uh, pretty cool. They work hard, uh, those guys. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Congratulations. 100%. Also, too, uh, Alan Cross. Have you heard of Alan Cross, B? No. No. Not Chris right. Cross. Alan Cross. Christopher Cross. Sailing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Alan Cross, uh, there's a great article recording, uh, well, sorry, regarding the US Festival that we did a podcast on the other week. So it's a bit of a journal. Uh, I think, well, it's called Journal of All Musical Things is probably the search engine title. And if you put in the US Festival, Alan Cross, you should see a great deep dive into some of the stuff we talked about and some great photos of that gig and concert that we uh, dove deep on the other week. Excellent. Also, too, speaking of festivals, B, it's been a big week in the UK in the last week and a half with Glastonbury. Have you ever gone to a Glastonbury gig? You know I have. And hello to um, uh, Keith Lemon because he's been um, sending us um, some footage of him out there. So it looks so fun. Yes. Well, no, no in excess news here, but uh, I have been getting snippets, I guess, from uh, Rick Astley, who has been known to play an in excess cover or two. Apparently, got up there and did a his set, and then did a, a special set on the Smiths, uh, where he's playing drums and things. Yeah. yeah, and there was a little bit of uh, negative and positive feedback for Guns and Roses uh, uh-huh. who played. Yes, uh, the Arctic Monkeys, who the singer there was under a little bit of a health risk, but. Uh, uh, there was uh, really good reviews and then some bad reviews, so who knows what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Lana Del Rey apparently came on half an hour late and they had to finish her up early, of which she was escorted off the stage. So if anyone's got some little uh, <laughs> tidbits there about Glastonbury, yeah. it never goes without controversy, does it? Yeah, excellent. I, I've put on my personal page Fatboy Slim, who I absolutely adore singing praise, a new um, edition of that. So, oh, my God, it looked brilliant. So yes. the sun was shining for Glastonbury. <laughs> Which is a rarity. And I think there was a uh, great footage of a guy who had his tent there, but he had an old school, fantastically set out double bed he'd taken along to the gig. He had a big, massive tent and he had a very big traditional double bed there, which uh, went viral. Um, uh, Hopefully it didn't go viral in other ways, but you know what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. But, but, uh, yeah, he he got kudos for being uh, quite smart about doing that. Also, too, for those who like to scan the net, there is uh, a great site called Themes from Great Cities uh, site, and there is a great little fan discovery there where there's a couple of articles uh, uh, about NXS, one uh, related to uh, Suicide Blonde uh, and just another one on the band. So if you go into Themes from Great City site, you should see, uh, if you plug in NXS, a couple of good little articles there. Along with also a site called CMF Radio, there's a good feature article and some great links there as well. Uh, which I think is a California radio station. Uh, I've done a good little deep dive and some articles and some links are there. Big shout out to Gary Beers, who uh, not only had his birthday last week, but also did a massive sale and uh, seemed to be was uh, on lots and lots of the uh, Facebook p- uh, pages. Definitely qualifying for, uh, uh, I guess, uh, what do we call it? Media uh, Wars. <laughs> Media Wars, that's all right. Uh, so well done to Gary. A couple of other things just sort of in closing uh, from the news. Also, too, we got a little bit of information emailed to us by one of the UK cover bands for NXS, uh, a gentleman, gentleman by the name of Ian Bennington. So he may have been related to uh, Chester Bennington and Lincoln Park, probably not. But uh, he did sort of shout out to us about some upcoming festivals and gigs they're playing, and I love the way they declare it there, the big fake festivals. Uh, So there's the Queen, I think, supporting them or vice versa on one of them. 
Uh, and also, B, I did discover a, uh, a great little cover band of NXS in the Southern California area called Mystified, uh, which is a great name uh, for NXS cover band. Uh, kudos to you guys. Keep doing what you're doing. Uh, if you want to check out where they are in your regions, feel free to do so. If you want to get any more information, get onto our website and look on the page for Tribute Bands, and we have all the information and their website links there, so you can go on to that. Big birthday uh, acknowledgements this week coming up. We've got a uh, great uh, patron, uh, honorary patron of the show, Nick Egan, who has a birthday. Uh, and also the fantastic Kurt Pengelly, uh, early July, I think July 4th, I think it is, B. Both on the 4th of July. 4th of July. Yeah. What a great, great day to have a birthday if you're in America. But uh, yes. uh, big yeah, kudos to Kirk. Uh, happy birthday to you. We know that uh, Lane would be celebrating with a glass of wine with you, maybe a, a bottle of KP. Rosé, uh, so yeah, Rosé, so yes. it wouldn't go astray. Yeah. Happy birthday, guys. Thank Happy you birthday. for everything you've done for us. But that's the news of the week. Hey, this is Paul Jolly from Sydney, and this is The Big Rat. All right, B, well, that's a wrap. Great hearing from Danielle about her fan experience just a bit earlier, wasn't it, B? Yeah, it's lovely. She's great, isn't she? Yeah, and I think it's a lot of our North American listeners are the ones who did get to see in excess on that last tour and some of the UK guys. Uh, we don't get quite a lot of feedback about South Africa, but, yeah, if anyone was on that last tour, we'd love to engage with you on all of our platforms throughout the week. If you've got any photos or uh, any any uh, pirated audios or vision or camera shots, uh, we would love to uh, hear about your experiences and uh, share them with our listeners and things as well. So Fantastic. Looking forward yeah. to seeing that. Before you do your end bit, yep. and I have to say goodbye, can we just have a moment for um, Gen- Genevieve? She's in hospital at the moment having an operation, so we wish her well and, an, and a fast recovery. Fantastic. Fantastic. All the best for you. Um now, B, coming up, I guess we are coming into, uh, as I said, the end of 97, which we all know what that's about, and we will talk more about that in the coming weeks. But uh, we are excited, uh, I guess, really excited about the book launch. So I know it's mentioned earlier in the show, and you can pre-order, and the sales are going fantastic. And um, I think uh, all of us just can't wait to get the physical copy in our hands, B, once it sort of becomes out uh, you know, uh, on a release date. So uh, if you haven't got your pre-release copy yet, uh, we urge you to get onto all the links and the areas, I think, on the, the band's website, I believe, B. That's it where is. they can go. Yeah, in uh, And, yeah, get your copy and things as well. Um, so the, one of the persons who did on one of our platforms yesterday say, oh, why is it so expensive for the Super Deluxe Edition? Well, that's probably because it's pretty unique and pretty rare. So that's exactly you know, the rarer, it. the more unique and the more super it is, well, yeah, the price is going to go up. So yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, that's the way it is. There's only 300 of those. So, yeah. And um, I believe like over half have gone already. Yes. <laughs> so, right. yeah, if you want one, don't think, and, and you're thinking about it, <laughs> just yes. go and get it. <laughs> get the load. All right, but we're going to go with a bit of a tribute song today. And I thought this was sort of quite timely because you just never know that uh, who's going to be listening to our podcast. And just so happens that you mentioned there's a certain person in Australia at the moment earlier. And this song was written about a certain person and uh, does relate to a certain person and a certain latest album and a certain latest tour. So I thought we would go out today, B, with uh, Girl on Fire. And if you are listening out there, uh, Sir Bob, we hope you like this one. Uh, this is from Michael to Paula. Little tongue in my cheek here. This was a great little live one that the band enjoyed playing live. Some great hooks. And I always think of your face with this song, B, because you've got a little bobby sort of Englishy blonde hair and Paula <laughs> sort of thing going. Okay. So I always, uh, you, you always come into my face about this as well because you're always a very positive, mate, upbeat person. So uh, girl on fire. Happy birthday, Kirk. It's goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from B. See you next week. Bye. Yeah, ha, ha, ha. Is on fire? I just
Mr. Dutchy. And you've been listening to In Excess, Access All Areas with Hayden and Bee.